Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Boogie, and welcome to another episode of Isolation Be Like. I am coming to you live and direct from my truck, <laughs> parked in my driveway on a hot, on a hot June day, with the window down. You may hear my HVAC kick on. You hear um, the birds. I imagine you might hear my kids come out to the backyard screaming and hollering, playing basketball or something. Um, you might hear the screeching sound of the dwindling number of cicadas um, here. Um, in my trees and bushes around the house, but we here, um, all is well. It's been, it's been interesting the last couple of months. You know, I have been pretty committed to staying isolated. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not, I'm not really ready to be, I'm ready to be doing things. I'm not really ready to be outside around people per se. Like I might want to see people I know. I'm not really trying to see Strangers, so I've been stepping back out slowly because, you know, if I were single and just sort of living my own life where my decisions only impacted me, I'd just be in, I'd just be in the house because um, I'm cool with it. But I have other people in my life that I have to think about. And my kids, you know, um, they're young and um, they want to, you know, some contact. And of course, that's natural. So I'm you know, we're opening up the doors a little bit. <laughs> the birds. It's it's a beautiful sound, so rock with it. It's natural. Um, speaking of, I'm going to... I've been meaning to check out... What is it called? Afro? Outdoor Afro? I think it is. The, the birds chirping just reminded me I was going to do that. So, when I'm done recording this, I need to write this down. Um, outdoor Afro Baltimore. See what's up. Um, it's a little... Um, group you hang out and do stuff outdoors with you know people <laughs> who self-identify as afro people so i'm pretty excited about seeing what's up with that but anyway we've been outside a little bit we um i'm still wearing masks um we're all you know you know when we go inside a store or shit i'm wearing masks outside still in places where nobody else has on a mask um, and I'm comfortable with it. So we have been to the beach twice. Um, the first time in late spring. And we were masked up. And pretty much everyone was still wearing masks then. Um, but then like the mandate shifted. So when we went to the beach a couple of weeks back. And stayed. And we stayed in um, houses that didn't belong to us. And you know. Um, <laughs> I was comfortable enough. You know, I am I am trying not to be completely crazy, but I mean, I'm crazy enough. I'm trying I'm trying not to be completely insane by the end of this covid thing and not really the end. But as we kind of ramp up to real life um, again, can we talk about that? I'm, I'm all over the place. Just I've had it's it's Father's Day. I've I'm full. I've had some bourbon. Um, so this may be all over the place, but big news is that I've left my house. We went on two trips. Uh, we rented two houses um, and I didn't even scrub scrub them down. I just did a cursory cleaning even though the places were really clean and came recommended and were um, homes that, are, you know, of people who we had connection with um, um, so we felt safe and um, even though we traveled, we pretty much stayed to ourselves. We ate all of our meals in the house other than some to-go things and uh, we spent much of our time still isolated which 
you know, we got to get outdoors, um, get to the water, get to the beach and all that jazz, but still not necessarily have to deal with human beings, which was the goal. You know, I'm vaccinated. My husband's vaccinated, but my kids aren't. So we're still keeping it safe. Um, And plus, I like not breathing people's air. You know, I've always had a thing about that anyway, like when someone's smoking, I wasn't bothered by the smell of the smoke, but just the thought that I knew that when I was inhaling the secondhand smoke that had come out of their nose or whatever, that it was like now in my body. So I used to think about that because I'm weird and I would think about that kind of shit like or odors from people that I wasn't necessarily interested in that were now inside of my nose. I'm just like, this was in their body. And now with COVID and they've done all these visuals of like how our air travels, it ends up in someone's, you know, body. Um, I think about it all the time because, you know, trauma. So I'm cool with the mask. So we stayed masked up. We had a good time. Um, Two trips. And I think we're going to take another one. And I'm going to be honest, like I haven't flown, but on a whim, um, there were a couple of moments, and I think we all shared some of these moments during the pandemic, the early part, that I just felt connected and um, felt at peace. And one of those was, you know, uh, when we were all on um, Instagram listening to to D-Nice on Club Quarantine. And that one night when everybody got on and we were just, you know, I was cleaning the house and dancing and on my phone and had it on the TV and it was just... It was so needed um, that night and what he did subsequently um, for the following months throughout the pandemic. And I'm glad that he's getting everything that he's getting. But I say all that to say that I woke up one day, happened to go on Instagram, saw tickets were for sale at the Hollywood Bowl um, for a club quarantine concert. I do not live in Los Angeles anymore, but I went straight to that website and bought two tickets. So I, you know. I haven't flown, but the intention is to get on an airplane, double masked, even though I have a vaccine, and to go to L.A. and be at a concert venue outdoor um, with 18,000 people for club quarantine. And that, that might be the only thing outside of my house that I'm really looking forward to, like not not work. Like, all the people are like, I just can't wait to get back in the office. Like, you know, I guess there, I mean, it takes all kinds. Like, there are people who are just, I don't know if they're just saying that because we're at work. And you're supposed to say things like that. You know, we're all looking forward to getting back. I'm not. And I'll talk about that later. But I am looking forward to um, Club Quarantine. Like, cannot wait. Cannot wait. You know. This year has just got me in this place where it's just like, do what you love, do what you like, don't do the rest, period. I've kind of already always kind of been in that zone, but this year really just of sitting down, I loved that everybody or most of us, maybe not even most, many of us were just sitting down. There was no traffic. Um, people were at home just sitting down and just thinking and like reevaluating, um, And I think it has made a difference in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people I know are moving and switching jobs and doing all kinds of things and reevaluating. I just, um, it's been a really rough time for many reasons and uh, for us um, in some ways. 
um, and for other people in ways that I can't even imagine. People who have been ill, people who have lost people, people who are still suffering uh, with lingering effects of COVID. Um, but it's also been for us, and I would say for me specifically, a time of just peace and stillness, even in the midst of the anxiety around um, COVID-19. Um, just being home and getting to know my kids because I, you know, in a way that maybe you don't get when you're running around and doing a million things, you're just with them all day and my husband and, um, shit myself, (laughs) right? Um, I finished some writing, I, I started things and then decided they weren't my things anymore. I, I picked up some new things, made some decisions. It's just been a, it's just been there's just been some clarity, but one of the things that I, I know that I, I've always felt this way around work, but one of the things that I know that was strengthened or maybe even taken to a new level is just like, I can't, I, much of what many of us do at work is a waste of time. Right. The meetings, the conversations, um, the strategies, the the planning that doesn't really move the needle much anywhere. Just things to do to shuffle money from one place or other, shuffle people from one place to another. And that's always gotten on my nerves and it has never gotten on my nerves more than in the last year and a half. Like I have found it and my job has been pretty good about giving us space. Let me be clear. Um, I've gotten to teach from home. I've gotten to teach asynchronously. And for the most part, I've been left alone. But I'm talking about just some of the, broadly, some of the ideas around not knowing when it was time to just sit down, that some things just were not things that needed to be done right now. Right? Um... And I think my school was generous with certain things around students and letting them drop later in the semester and withdraw later in the semester that they normally would. There was, I would say my job made some accommodations, but I'm not talking about the specific job as much as I'm talking about this feeling of just like, I don't want to be on the phone with you. I don't want to be on a Zoom call with you when the world is on fire talking about something that I'm not quite sure matters right now. And feeling crazy when you're talking to me about these things while I'm just in a kind of a state emotionally where mentally where I'm just trying to get through the day and I'm having to put on work face for you to talk about shit that I really just don't care about right now. And by you keeping talking to me about it during this moment is making me not care about it possibly at all again because I'm concerned about the idea of like what does this say about work when we don't when we don't know when it's time to to shut up to sit to 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 leave people alone we weren't essential <laughs> you know we could have all been sitting down in a different way um When I got my annual evaluation this year, um, and this is 
you know, this happened a few weeks back where I had to like talk about my work, what I've done, what I've accomplished. And I'm answering these questions that are like about what do I think about my scholarship and um, my creative output or my teaching over the last year and how has COVID impacted it and what things have I learned? Like all these questions. And all I'm thinking is I didn't, that wasn't a concern for me at all. And I don't want to pretend I wrote. It wasn't, I, I wrote that. I did not, I was concerned with survival. Like, why are you, why am I being asked about this? And I know business has to go on and maybe there's certain things that have to happen in order, you know, for accreditation. We had, there have to be things on file. I don't know, but I'm just like, I was concerned with not getting COVID. Or being able to get my body together and keep us healthy so that if something did happen to us, we we could make it. I was concerned with um, not losing my mind. I was concerned with um, homeschooling my kids, uh, my black children, and having to see up close all the ways in which school is not a good place in many cases for black children. I was concerned with... Um, the election and, you know, which neighbors were good neighbors and which neighbors were not. And, um, and whether or not there was any safety issues because the world was on fire. I was concerned with all the racism. I was concerned. I was concerned with a lot of shit, but my scholarship and whether or not I was effectively teaching was not, I was concerned with being, being a human being and telling my students, we are human beings and do the best you can do. Tell me what you can do. And if you can't do it, let me know. You know, I don't play that game like, um, you know, I'm working and you should be working too and everything's the same and I'm holding the same standards. No, no, life is hard right now for me. I tell my life, was, life is hard. This is hard for all of us. I know it. I know you've been sitting at your desk for five hours in classes you could barely stay awake. I'm not going to bother you. Like, here's the information you need for my class. Fit it into the schedule that you know that you can maintain. Like, it's an asynchronous class. Do it when you can do it. Reach out to me when you can reach out to me, and I'll help you when, when you need the help. The end. And if it gets hard, let me know, because this shit is crazy. You know, I was concerned with being a human being. Um... And then you feel crazy getting these like evaluation forms and it's like nothing's happened. And I was up and you're answering these questions. And I, I just answered, I wasn't concerned. I was concerned around survival um, and asking questions about my thoughts about the return and my plans and sort of how I feel about coming back and what lessons. And I had to say, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about coming back, you know, um, I don't want to be in a classroom with 20 people for an hour or two. I don't. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to be multiple days a week. I don't want to be sitting in my office for office hours with anybody. Um, and I also don't like the lack of cultural awareness around mask wearing and how it's politicized and how people take liberties with you and not really 
noticing like so what I'm noticing is, you know, a lot of the news stories at the beginning of the pandemic when masks finally reached um, sort of the public consensus that it was OK to wear masks. You know, I had started wearing them before, but <laughs> but once everyone started wearing it, it all became around, you know, black people aren't wearing the mask. Right. You know. Black people aren't staying home when they got the Surgeon General on the TV talking about do it for Big Mama and all that shit, right? But where's the new stories now where I see black people still still masked up when I go out? Other people, not so much, right? Where's the new stories around that? Like, why are we still wearing the mask? What is that about, right? Um percentage wise right why why are we still masked up and others aren't so when i go on campus and i see all the black people wearing masks and none of the white people and i wonder if they're wondering why is that right and i don't know that i have an answer i have an answer for myself um you know but you know i've already been asked to to you know, to do gatherings and have lunches and all. No, I didn't. Culturally, that's not what we want to do. We don't do potluck, like potluck, potluck. Ask your black friends if you're not. Ask your black black friends about what we're taught around potluck at work. Culturally, I don't want to do that anyway. The last time I had to do one, I decided to be the leader of the committee, so that by the time I got to the event, I would not look awkward having not helped plan it and also not eating anything that isn't pre prepackaged and wrapped um so i just joined i just decided to plan it you know and i probably shouldn't say this but i'm gonna say then i get there and then someone is digging the dirty cups and plates out of the garbage to wash them the plants to, to use them another year and the forks to wash them in a dirty sink to put them away for the next year's potluck this is why our ancestors told us don't participate in this. I'm not saying that all other people do that, but it was like all my worst nightmares come true right in front of my eyes. And no one was saying a word. And I'm the only one in my department. And I'm not saying that other people wouldn't have found that disgusting, but no one else stopped it. And I was new. Matter of fact, people knew that it was happening. And I was just like, that guess happened before. And I was just like... You know, this is where you need DEI instruction, right? Like, where's the diversity person right now to explain why this uh, why this looks crazy? Um, but I say that to say same thing with the mask. It's like sort of the ways in which other people may socialize or may see the world. Um, you know, the mask thing became political. I don't know. You know, it just there's a lot going on with that. And I said, you know, I'm walking onto campus with people all kind of beliefs. Students were all kind of believe. I don't know what they're believe. I don't know if they. I don't know how they're viewing mask wearing. I don't know how they're viewing the the vaccine or what their political views are. And sort of like I'm not. I don't trust people. You know that's the climate. It's bad enough. I'm already thinking too much before I even get to work. Now I got to be thinking about that. I'm not looking forward to it. So I put that in my review because it's what I felt. And I just don't know. I'm just. Um, it might be time for. Or, you know, a reevaluation period. Right. Um, 
of how to spend my time uh, with the schools. Like, you know, we homeschooled this year and and not the Zoom homeschool thing, um, although we did use some Zoom courses, like individual courses. We tried the public school. Um, we tried a private Montessori online deal didn't work for various reasons. The public school was too many kids, not enough turn taking, a lot of just, you know, noise, right? A million things happening in the class because they have to happen um, because it's mandatory. And then the actual instruction was hard to do with so many kids and not everybody knowing how to use the computer and parents not being available to help the five-year-olds. My son was in kindergarten this year. So he made the choice to homeschool. So we would do the instruction and we got some help and support. We used various platforms to, um, I'm not saying them because I'm not getting (laughs) sponsored ads, but we use various um, platforms to help, you know, online tutors to kind of help us out. And it went really well. So one of the things we still have to do is that we have to get evaluated by the local district. So we did. So at our first meeting in the fall, after um, a half a year of doing homeschooling, this woman was not black. Older woman who's probably retired from teaching and does these sort of homeschool evaluations. She was kind enough to us. But remember, we're we're homeschooling a, a, a five-year-old in kindergarten. I have some of the writing. I have some of the math work. I have some artwork. I don't know. And my son doesn't have to be there for the evaluation. And we're on Zoom. And she's nice enough. It's a little formal for me. And then she's like, okay, let's let's see the evidence. So she's asking us about, okay, where's the writing? Now, mind you, he was ahead in some of the places. And she had the nerve to say, this woman, who is not black to me, yeah, some of this stuff you're doing is too advanced. They really just need to be counting to 10. Bet you can count to 10 already. You know, we're doing something else, which we're showing you. And it was becoming more and more infuriating as we talked to her. So then she asked us about social studies. So I say, what would be counted as social studies? Now, mind you, even though we were at home, there were, we had, we had gone on trips to like the science center, which was pretty, everything was empty. We live in a great spot where we have some access to some outdoor things. So we were going to like the nature centers and there's a reservoir and we were doing all these naturey things alone together that counted as I thought science work. And we took pictures and wrote notes about what we were doing. But so we were doing things that were sort of subject based, but she said social studies and I said I'm sure we've done something I was like what counts is that so she tells me and I was like oh well we have these books about historical figures and I kind of had the books available and she goes well no like Thanksgiving did you did you do anything for Thanksgiving and I this felt very specific and I I said no like almost like I said do, do we have to And then she said, well, it's just a good thing to do because then you can get Thanksgiving, which is history and it's social studies. And you can draw like um, a turkey or make like a little pilgrim hat or something. And then that counts as art. And I'm sitting there like we have done all this work. We have paid for tutors. Clearly, our kid is writing is can count and doing all this stuff. And you're asking me about 
whether or not he may trace his hand to make a, make a turkey. And how, you know, we need to have more documentation about. I know you've visited places. I know you're actually playing tennis for Jim. But we need something like a worksheet to prove you're doing Jim. The t- the pictures of him playing tennis is fine. But we need a worksheet. Like, that kind of shit was on my nerves. But the Thanksgiving thing. And I just said, we're not going to teach him about Thanksgiving. Because I think he's a little bit young. She goes, really? I said, yes. I'm not quite sure to how to have a conversation with a five-year-old about genocide. And then she's just looking at me on the Zoom. By this point, my husband's over it. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll have a sip of water. My husband is over it. I'm over it. We wrap it up. She gives us a list of, to turn in. Uh, you know, if you can give me these things, you can pass the evaluation and we won't have to redo this. So I go dredge up some worksheets and some scribble pictures and whatever else she asked for. And she she gives us the stamp of approval for that first half of the year. So then the second evaluation was a few weeks back in May. Uh, my husband asked if he could tap out because he was so infuriated. He didn't want to, you know, you know, like he didn't want to be on the thing. And I said, sure. So I said, I'll do it. So by this point, I know what's kind of being asked for. I've gathered some papers. I've gathered receipts from the tutors. I've gathered um, the lesson plans that the tutors provided for me. Um, and I showed the curriculum. I have the artwork. I have, all, I have the books laid out. I have all the stuff within arm's reach so we can have this call. So we get on the call. And we're talking. Hey, how you doing? I'm prepared to be annoyed. Um, but if you know me, even if you know me from this podcast, it's just kind of like I'm pretty mild mannered um, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk to you calmly. But if you act crazy, it's only going to go so far. So um, I just realized I'm I'm moving the phone around. I've been talking to the wrong end of the phone, so I hope (laughs) the rest of this podcast is audible. But if not, my apologies. It's the bourbon. So she goes, where's your husband? I said, oh, he couldn't make it. You know, he has something to do, you know, like not be on this call with you. Right. Because he couldn't make it. And she goes, who? Now, this woman who I don't know is not my friend. It's not my good girlfriend. Like one of my Judy. She's nobody. She don't know me. We've talked once. She goes, whew, I'm so happy he's not on the call. He was so upset the last time, and I wanted to just tell him to calm down. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? I'm also thinking this is what they love. They love for a family not to be a unit, right? Because you think maybe I'm going to be a pushover, you know, or something like that. And what you don't really know is that I'm probably going to come at you more than he is. He's just going to walk away because he's not going to want to cuss you out. But um, um, I'm probably more of a problem, but you don't know that because of my even tone. So she's like, oh, my goodness. He's, you know, I'm thinking, why would you say that? So then I said, well, to be honest, he didn't want to be on the call either because he didn't enjoy the call. And I said, to be honest, I didn't either. I said, because we told you everything we were doing. And then you basically said that we weren't doing enough, even though we were doing all these things above and beyond what um, the school district would do. 
it was a little bit disheartening to be on a phone call with you, with you second guessing us and telling us that we were doing work that was a little bit too advanced for our son, even though he was able to do it. Oh, no, no, no. I thought it was fine. Da, 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 da. I think I think your approach is great. You just needed more paperwork, more documentation, yada, yada. So then this, oh, almost called her a, a name. So then this woman, who is not black, who has had a long career um, in education, asked me if we were going to send my son to public school next fall when the schools open back up. We said, I said, hell no. (laughs) No, we're not. Not to that school, you know, the one we're zoned for. I said we were we had left we had left we decided not to use that school and which is why we we were in a private school before COVID hit. And she asked me why, and I explained to her. And here's the story, briefly, because I can tell this bourbon got me talking, y'all. My husband went to go. My husband went to go visit the school to ask some questions about the school about a year before we were eligible for kindergarten. We moved into this neighborhood thinking, okay, the public schools are cool. We could just do that, you know. Um, but let's let's have a conversation because what we know, teachers in the house, um, educators in the house, is that even in neighborhoods where I'm also trying to kill a mosquito that has gotten in my trunk and is bothering me, in neighborhoods that are that have good school districts and good schools and good test scores, um, the black kids in the schools still test lower than. Um, other students, right? And that happened to be the case at this particular school, which doesn't make sense. Um, Why are the black kids not? So what's the failure here? Because it can't be that the black kids are all coming in unprepared, right? So where's the failure? Where's the loophole here? Have you identified it? So why are your black students not doing as well? So he asked the principal that. What's happening with these test scores? You know, why, why are these students not doing well? We can't say in this particular instance, um, that they're not resourced um, because they likely have something um, if they're in this particular district. So what do you think this is? And she basically was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's not a concern. And then he asked the question again um, a little more plainly. And then she said, well, it's typical that students on free lunch often test lower. And he said, I didn't ask you about free lunch students. I asked you about black students. Are you, what are you, what's, what is the, you know, where, how are you equating the two? Um, I imagine that there are plenty of white kids on free lunch. Are they, are they testing lower as well? And why are you asking me about, why are you talking about free lunch? And, you know, like that, that has nothing to do with me. Then she got frustrated and called out to the one other black employee at the school and asked if they knew the answer. So we knew we weren't going back to that school. I say all that to say I told this story to our homeschool evaluator. And she said, well, I don't think it's race. You know, I don't think race is the problem for the kids not doing well. Um, the, the principal probably shouldn't have should have had an answer for that. But you know what I think the problem is with the black students? And now, as soon as she said that, I knew that this was about to be a problem. I knew it was about to be a story. I mean, let's be honest. I knew. She said, she t- oh my God. She said, well, they're going home 
the parents have worked hard all day. And if there's two parents, they both work hard, but a lot of them is one parent and the parents worked hard. They've expected the school to do everything. So they come home, there's no engagement because the parents are tired, the kids have to do it themselves, and they're not getting the support, and the kids aren't able to thrive in the same way. Now, she done wrote a whole script. The parents working late shifts, too tired to help the kids with homework. The kids fall through the cracks. And... They're single parents, so that makes it worse. Worse. That's worse than the principal equating to free lunch. Like she brought a whole, wrote a whole movie. You know, she made up a whole lot just by me saying the word black. Right? No support. No parents around. Working double, sh- working double shifts. Like, and. Let's be clear, some of that exists, but like, but no race. Racism is not a problem. And I said to her, racism is a problem. I was like, I'm an educator, and beyond that, I'm a black person who was a young boy in school and then who also has taught school. Racism is an issue. The fact that she equated um, race to free lunch and also didn't have any data to, to think through. Um, um, those those numbers, it wasn't a concern of hers, is a problem. And I said, um, you know, as a black person, I'm, I'm keenly aware that racism, I said, there's, there's a lot of literature on that. I, I don't understand how you can think that racism is not a problem in schools, in this climate that we're in. You've been an educator. And she fell all the way back. And then she's like, well, I do have black friends, and I've had this conversation with them, and I don't know what it is. I wish we could all get along. All right, bitch, let's, let's, let's keep it moving. So then she says, I'm going to tell you this. I was really concerned at the first review. I called my supervisor about your son. Now, mind you, she did not meet my son. All she saw was artwork. She heard us talk about him. And we mentioned that he was sensitive, like about certain things in terms. She was asking about his personality. And we told her many things. But one of the things we said, he was sensitive. You know, sometimes we have to push him a little bit harder to keep to keep trying. Right. And I talked to my supervisor and now mind you, she's talking, she talked to me, a professor, my husband, psychologist. We have provided information about us hiring private tutors. We have all the books. We have all the Montessori materials. We presented that to her. We showed her the classroom that we are in, that we made in our house that looks like a Montessori classroom. She's seen all of that, but she's not met my son, though. And she saw work at which she said was too advanced. This is what she knows. But she gets off the phone with us and calls her supervisor and says that she's concerned. I called my supervisor because I was so worried. I didn't know how to say it to you, and I didn't know what to do, and I asked her for her opinion, and... She just told me if I get the work from you, the rest of the work to go ahead and pass you and then to have the conversation at our second evaluation. I said, what was your concern? She said, well, I wasn't certain that um, your son didn't have um, some kind of learning disability or some kind of issue. And my heart started to thump. Now, let me say this right here. Having a learning disability Um, Needing that kind of support or resources is absolutely nothing wrong with that once you've been assessed. But the fact that she has 
gotten off the phone with me when we presented her the required work. And we've gone above and beyond. Even as an educator and, a, and as a doctor, as a psychologist, she got off the phone with us. And we have more than what you're going to get from most people in terms of support, in terms of the work that we presented to her. She got off the phone with us concerned that my son had a problem that they needed to step in and do something and put him in some kind of program. A person whom she's never met. And it just, it made me, my eyes started to water because it just made me, it kind of, some of my fears around school is about how they treat our kids, how they get tracked, how they are prop improperly treated. And here he is, a little black boy who's done the work, who has supportive parents, who have provided resources and they still trying to track him and say something's wrong with him without actually um, without meeting him, without knowing, without any evidence of that. Again, nothing wrong with um, needing support, nothing wrong with any kind of um, academic issues, nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with um, the way that they assume um, black kids have these problems um, and and track them in those ways without having any evidence of it. It happens all the time. And we know better. We can support, we can fight for our kid, but a lot of parents don't know and then they have their kids doing things or in programs that they don't even need. Because they trust. They trust the system. They trust the teacher. They trust the person doing the assessment. I don't trust none of them. I don't trust them. I've had my own experiences. I don't trust them. They're not all bad, but I don't trust them. And I said, what would you, what would you make that? What, how did you make that determination? And I don't think she, she did not say learning disability. It, it was something to that effect, but it was like... She thought that um, that he needed academic support. She did say disability. I said, what you made the determination for? How? She said, well, you didn't provide us with a lot of worksheets. I just thought you were trying to maybe hide something. So being first-time homeschoolers, not and being Montessori parents, which is not about worksheets, it's about hands-on instruction, because we as the adults did not provide enough paper to her. She called her supervisor to say that she was concerned that my kid had a problem, and yet she doesn't think race is a problem in the schools. I was so disgusted um, and, and also so glad that we had made the choice to homeschool. Because I don't want them telling me shit about my kids. And I don't know how, what we're going to do next year or for the years. For, I think we're doing homeschool again. You know, my daughter will be in kindergarten. I don't trust them. We, we, we'll figure it out. Um, so when I get a form asking me what I've been thinking about this year, I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about protecting my kids. I've been thinking about keeping them safe. I've been thinking about keeping myself safe. I've been thinking about this damn 
25 to 30 pounds I have gained and worried about whether or not uh, I'm going to become ill because of this weight. I joined Weight Watchers, y'all, and then forgot I joined it um, for about two and a half weeks. I, I was like, I need to do something about this weight. And then I went to join Weight Watchers and I remembered I had done it. I just hate counting those damn points. So I'm going to try. I'm going to try to start counting points again tomorrow, not tonight, because I'm going to eat some more dessert and maybe one more glass of bourbon. But tomorrow's a new day. Because I got to lose this weight. But I'm concerned about that. This weight, my health, my kids, safety, being able to walk down the damn street. Um, period. Period. And joy. Like, what makes me happy? And just doing that, you know? Doing the thing that makes me happy. You know? There are elements of my, my job that I love. I, I, I love seeing students grow. I love I love being being connected to um, um, a college, university. I love those resources. I love being around those minds. I love that kind of thing. I just, the minutia, I can't. I have a hard time with that part. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to deal. And then it's also, you know, People who I know, not all friends, but people who I know, people I'm connected with, wanting to get back to doing the same basic shit that I didn't want to be doing before COVID hit. But I'm just like, am I going to get in my car and drive an hour for this? Right? Some things yes, some things no. And I gotta, I have to. I'm really centering on the quality of things, not the quantity of things. Um, we spent a year and a half taking meetings on the phone and on Zoom. Why am I getting back in my car to do the same shit that we've been doing fine? I'm not. I'm not going to. Is the answer. Um, so in the midst of all this, like uh, the stress and all the anxiety, I think I, I have found myself wanting connection. But not in the, oh, I can't wait to get outside. Homecoming going to be lit. None of that. If that's for you, that's for you. But that's not my thing. My thing has been, you know what? Um, I'm going to get in my car and go see my friend um, who's vaccinated. <laughs> and maybe maybe spend some quality time. Spend a day connecting with that friend. I'm going to hop on a plane. My friend just had a baby. I'm going to maybe do that and spend some time. Um, what I'm not going to do is feel compelled to be somewhere because everybody else is there. Or people expect me. I'm just not doing that. I was barely doing that before. I'm really not doing it now. And not out of any ang- anger. I just, I, I just, I just want to feel, find ways to feel good. Find things that make me feel good. Center and focus on those things. Because it's a lot of shit in my life that just does not make me feel good. So I'm just... I am, you know, COVID has given me that time to, to feel those things, to, to, to know that I'm feeling them, to feel okay with feeling them, um, not call it by a different name, not play the game um, of being polite, right? I've talked about that in prayer. Just things are what they are. Um so feeling the, the disappointment and the anxiety and the hurt, all those things has also made it possible possible for me to actually feel what 
brings me joy differently because I'm paying attention to both sides of the, of the spectrum. I'm not dulling one side of it. Um, and I want more of that. Um, I want more balance um, in that. Eating foods that I want to eat. Doing things that I want to do. Writing what I uh, want to write. And also, you know, like on the disappointment side, just like, you know, I wrote this book. And had this great proposal, went out to publishers, and I got the most amazing. I got, you know, I had a couple of great meetings and those, you know, close but no cigar, right? Um, for various reasons. Some, one was really close. Like, like, we thought the contract was in the bag, and then some shit happened at the last second, and just, uh, my life. But that wasn't for me, right? And I spent a lot of time having these moments over the last year after having worked on this thing, um, getting the most beautiful rejection emails. Like people who really read my work, really had some wonderful things to say about my work. And then saying, I don't think, you know, it's for us. But he's a hell of a writer. I focus on the positive, right? Because that's my thing. And then one day I decided it was okay to feel disappointment. So I felt disappointment by all the rejection letters. And the surprising thing about that was I was able to let it go once I once I felt the rejection. I was like, oh, okay. Um, this didn't work out the way I wanted. And then I was able to, to, to pivot. I'm working on something else right now. Um, I pivoted. And then a couple of other projects came my way. And the book is still there. We're going to see what we do. But I'm working on a new one. And I'm working on something else. Um, but that all came with me feeling all of it. Right? Because <laughs> I was telling myself, okay, this is all good. I'm actually, and I believe that. I'm hearing back from these big wigs. They know my name. They've invited me to send me to send other manuscripts. Um, um, they've told my, my agent really good things about having seen me perform. Like, all these great things. But no check, no contract. And somehow I managed to tell myself this is great this is great this is great because on one hand it is I'm doing what I love I'm in the game I'm doing what I love and I'm glad one day I allowed myself to say fuck this didn't work because the minute I said that I got to feel it and then I started working on something else because I had not because I was able to be in the present and go okay maybe something will pop off but right now this thing is not working so I need to I need to I need to and to switch gears, I felt the pain. I felt the, I felt the joy of it, and I'm trying to do more of that, um, and be proud of all of it. I'm doing some, you know, I'm doing what I love to do. Um, I just want to do more, more of that, right? So that I have the energy to protect my kids, protect myself, protect my family, work hard, um, and still play. I have time to talk to you in my car for an hour every once in a while after having some bourbon about whatever I just talked about because <laughs> I'm going to listen to this. It's all over the place. But I might just post it just as it is, y'all. Um, this felt good being out here like like old times, not in my... I started using the studio for a while because I, you know, I wanted to be fancy. Um, and I bought microphones and 
I think my favorite episodes are the ones where I just picked up the phone and went and sat wherever I could sit. Um, and it's actually, as I sit here, I'm having these flashbacks of this last year, year and a half of just coming out here, going into my bedroom or walking down the street, recording these podcasts and not really knowing what this was doing, who was listening. And then, you know, just how that felt again, doing what feels good. This, this makes me happy. Thanks for listening. Um, this makes me happy. And just being really um, touched by people who reach out and um, who are listening and wanting to, you know, just tell me what they, you know, what they think about what I'm saying or ask, invite me to talk at places from this thing that I'm doing. Like right now I have on pajamas and I'm in my car and it's getting, it's getting dark. I'm going to go inside. The mosquitoes are eating me alive right now because I have the window open as not to have you hear my car air conditioner on top of everything else so I'm going to go in the house um yeah one more thing so all this talking which I wasn't sure what what it was leading to has led to just me opening up to like I think I really love doing audio story storytelling work and that's opened up so many other doors and possibilities and um that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't picked up the phone one day and just started talking into it, not knowing what this thing is going to be, um, you know, so just actively living, you know, my purpose and my, it's just been, it's been a rough year, it's been a good year, you know, in many ways, and that's just what it is, is life, um, and I think we've all had a little bit of that, so I'm going to go in the house, have one more sip, and then, um, and watch CBS Sunday morning, at night because that's when I can watch it and then fall asleep alright so hopefully um, I'll be talking to you guys again soon thanks for listening um, I'll try to come up with <laughs> an actual topic the next time but you know it is but oh, maybe I won't I don't know um, but I hope you're well um, I'm trying to think of what my sign off was it's been so long stay safe stay sane and wash your hands question mark <laughs> love yourselves I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you guys later peace